1962, the mafia car bombing of Cadillac Charlie Cavallero and his two young sons rocked the city of Youngstown and rattled the nation. Over 60 years later, for the first time ever, the sole survivor of the bombing, Charlie Cavallero Jr., and a former FBI agent who worked the case, will break it all down with Youngstown Mob Talk, plus a VIP dinner before the show. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime event, Cav Bomb, Friday, November 10th. Tickets available now at StambaUditorium.com. You're watching an amazing podcast from an amazing podcast company. Hello, everybody. Johnny Ciccatelli here for another edition of Youngstown Mob Talk. Later, uh, coming up real soon. But, you know, I, I'm just going to die. Our sponsors, of course, we've got Youngstown Tile and Terrain. If you guys didn't come out to the AMP this summer, not least the sunrise in out in warren the best food in warren um the burgers are unbelievable they're huge uh, i love it the pizza is phenomenal uh, everything you get at the sunrise in If you're not a member already, We really do. We have we have so many great stories.
So Dawn included to kill the Irishman. Uh, great story, you know, great read about how they eventually did kill Danny Green uh, and the downfall of the Cleveland family after that. Um, he included Super Thief, uh, again, by Rick Perello. This was the story of Phil Christopher, who, you know, whether you believe it or you don't believe it, he was, uh, you know, part of a lot of burglaries, a lot of heists. And Crime Town USA from Alan May, that's probably the most definitive look at Youngstown's past is very detailed, very detail-oriented from 1933 to 1963. There's another one on there called The Mob Informer. That's a very heavily researched book. A lot of great researchers put that thing together. I highly recommend you check that out, especially if you're interested in the history of like uh, the Calabrians and the Sicilians and how they work together with the mob in, in Youngstown and the Mahoning Valley. That's a great research book. Also in that list was Steel City Mafia, which is from a friend of ours, Paul Hodos. He's a former FBI analyst, and he wrote an entire book, just came out this year, on the Pittsburgh crime family called Steel City Mafia. So we highly recommend you check that book out. And of course, the last book he had on that list is kind of why we're here today. It's called Truth Not Deception, The Demise of GM. And it's really about... Uh, an incredible uh, case. A lot of people, you know, you might have grown up in this area and never even heard about this case. If you're of a certain age, you did hear about this case and it was very infamous. So we're going to talk about that here uh, with our special guest right after the break. Hey, Vinny, what you doing? Trying to get the stain out of the carpet. What is that? Red wine? Um, yeah, yeah, it's red wine. Yeah. You should get some nice tile or terrazzo in here. Frankie, this is Youngstown. Where you get some nice terrazzo at? I know a guy. Yeah, you know a guy. Looks really nice, doesn't it? You just could eat off it. For spectacular flooring, go bold, go local, go Youngstown Tile. All right, now I'm joined by Gary Bonnell. Thank you very much for joining me, Gary. Thank you. All right, so Gary wrote a book called Truth Not Deception. Um, it's available right now on Amazon. You can go out and get it. You know, I highly recommend it. Uh, Don Corbett, as I just mentioned earlier in the show, posted a our, our Youngstown Mob post of the week. He put a bunch of books that he said was essential reading if you want to know Youngstown Mob and organized crime history. And Gary's book is in there, uh, Truth Not Deception. So uh, thanks, Gary. Um, real quick, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself and you know why you wanted to write this book. Yes. Um Going back about 39 years, close to 40 years, I worked for General Motors in Lordstown, and that's when I became associated with uh, Ben Marsh in a situation with uh, Bill Milano. And uh, real quick, who was Ben Marsh? Ben Marsh was a security guard that was assigned to the van.
obviously. They threatened us every time that Ben escorted him out of the plant, which was a total of three. Um, threatened to kill us, threatened to kill our families. He contacted my home. Wow. Uh, called my wife up. And Mr. Milano did. And he was very, very abrasive individual. <clears throat> so what do you say to somebody that calls you? And what did you have any react? I mean, on the phone, somebody's threatening you in this manner. And just what, hung what up. do you say? You just hung up on him? Yeah. Did you call the police? No, well, no, I just hung up on him. I went to management. Okay. Over Tell me a little bit about General Motors security because I'm, I'm interested in this. After this murder happens, this we'll get to the, the why and the when, but after the murder happens of Benjamin Marsh and his family, the case is investigated by Mahoney County Sheriff's, but it's also investigated by General Motors security, which I thought was kind of interesting that they had as much um, say in the investigation as they did. So tell me a little bit about General Motors security and, you know, what the process was. Well, what I knew at that point was that we escorted them out of the plant on about three occasions and had a repeat of spitting, spitting on us and um, threatened to kill, kill us and kill our yeah. families. And uh, after about the third time that it was taken out, uh, he was taken out. Um, ben called on the phone down in the final process, and he said, uh, here's a certain number. It's a Blue Beauville van coming down. And he said, can you pull it to the side repair? He said, uh, I'll be down. So he obviously was on the second floor. So he came down and he said, uh, can you take the cargo door side panel off? And I said, yes, but I said, I don't know if that's a thing to do because it was very tense there coming strike time. And he said, I said, I'll take it off. So I got the air pistol and took the screws out of the trim panel, and this was a Beauville, this was a passenger van, Okay. and took the uh, side panel off, and there was a bag in there, uh, approximately a two-gallon bag, Ziploc type, and um, he pulled it out, had a white substance in it, and uh, he said, bingo. He said, is there any black sacks around here? And I said, right there, you know, garbage sacks. And okay. he said, we'll put it in that garbage sack. So we put it in the garbage sack, and he said, it was close to the end of the shift when this happened. And he said, oh, he said, I want the two of us to go over and see A.B. Anderson, the plan manager. Yeah. And he said, can you give him a call and tell him we're on our way? And I said, yes, so I did. And we went over and visited Mr. Anderson with the bag, took the, uh, the two-gallon, approximately two-gallon bag out of white substance out of the trash bag and laid it on his desk. So he looked at me and he said, uh, Gary, do you know what that is? I said, I don't do drugs. I said, I couldn't tell you. But you knew it was drugs. Right. But you just didn't know what it was. Right. Okay. We suspected it. Mm -hmm. And he looked at Ben and he said, um, Ben, can you identify what it is? And Ben says, uh, probably. He said, if you allow me to unzip that bag and it has a flowery smell, uh, he said, I could almost guarantee it's cocaine. So you found the drugs in this van, right? Right. Let's talk real quick about, since you mentioned the numbers racket, 
and uh, that was going on. Let's fill people in who aren't aware. How many people worked at General Motors estimated at this time, the, the uh, plant in Lordstown? Between the van plant, the uh, car plant, the Vega plant, and the stamping plant, approximately 13,000. 13,000 people. So they made these vans and they made uh, Vegas. Vegas. Well, Chevy then, Vegas. Right. And Correct. And then they made parts, the okay. stampings for that. And there was about 13,000 people that worked there. Yes. So Approximately. I know that the mob had controlled the numbers racket at the plant with the union members, and basically anybody at the plant. The, the mob had numbers runners in Youngstown for decades and decades. And by 1972, I believe that was the very end um, of, you know, towards the end of, of the uh, of, of the numbers, the bug in Youngstown, because the, the state lottery in Ohio becomes legal.
the investigators get a tip that one of their files on a possible informant is going to be stolen. Now, explain this to me because I still don't quite understand this either. They get a tip, the, this is a GM security person gets a tip that their file is going to get stolen from his car because he keeps it in his car. Mr. McIntosh was the individual that was head of plant security at General Motors. He and Mr. Nemeth worked hand in glove in the sting operation that was so, about yes. to appear. So the head of security at General Motors is working with the, the Mahoney County Sheriff's detective on the investigation. Uh, and they get a tip that someone is going to steal one of their files on a potential informant. And again, I just don't understand why he would keep it in his car on the lot there in Lordstown. It didn't, that didn't, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe he didn't, I don't, trust, I don't maybe he didn't trust anywhere in the plant. I don't think anybody does. Because the original GM murder file was uh, eventually placed in the vault in the safe at GM plant security. That was the last known place it was, it was housed. So they get this tip that this, this file is going to be stolen. And again, this file allegedly might give away uh, an informant's name or identity. And they, they get a tip that it's going to be stolen, this file. Well, Ed Nemeth actually comes up with a pretty good idea, which is, okay, if they're going to steal our file, let's create a dummy file for them, and we'll do a sting. We'll do a sting operation. We'll, we'll set these guys up. Whoever stole this, we'll set them up. So they do that. They make a dummy file. And in the dummy file, it says that they have a witness, and the witness's name is... XYZ, and that he's staying at a hotel nearby. Well, they plant this fake file in the, in the head of the security at GM's car, and sure enough, his car gets broken into. Correct. And someone steals this. This is like a scene from a strange movie at this point. Someone steals this file with the fake witness's name on it. So now the now they're thinking with this investigation, they have to be thinking, great, we got them. So they set up a sting at this hotel and Ed Nemeth himself, the detective, is going undercover to portray the fake witness. He stays at this hotel for, I believe it was a few nights, and he gets a phone call in his room maybe on the third night, and it's somebody breathing heavily on the other end. And so he knows, okay, you know, somebody's, the jig is up, something's going to happen. Well, the sting operation had the outside of the motel watched so that if anybody came to the door, they'd spring out and catch these guys. Well, that's what happened. And three gentlemen came to the door, and the police sprung out, the sheriff sprung out and, and, and got them. And uh, who were those gentlemen? There were four people total. There's three at the door. Um, they were Robert Parks, Paul Parks, and Mr. Ferris. So Robert Parks, Paul Parks, and, and Eddie Ferris. And to give you guys uh, some background here, uh, Bobby Parks, as he was known, uh, was a notorious killer, uh, hired gunman in Youngstown, literally had a business card uh, that said, have gun will travel, and I believe that was a nod to, what was that an old western or something, right? Um, and so he had a brother named Paul Parks, who was alleged to be involved with him, and there was a former Mahoning County Sheriff's deputy who was fired, named Eddie Ferris, Ed Ferris, Correct. who was part of uh, with them as well. Now, if you're in the Youngstown Mob Facebook group. Um, you'll probably see have seen some newspaper articles. Maybe you recognize uh, Eddie Ferris. Um, he later, in later years, gets uh, on an FBI tape recording saying that he was offered the contract on Joey Naples. 
but he turned it down because he wanted the money up front and they were offering him territory and such. So he was uh, uh, suspected in a few hits around Youngstown. But the Parks brothers, and specifically Bobby Parks, was such a, a uh, infamous person amongst law enforcement officials. Um, and, you know, you talk to any police that came across Bobby Parks and they have nothing good to say about the man. Um, but he ended up dying in prison for two murders that he committed uh, in Girard in the 80s, in Girard, Ohio, when he was hired to kill a dentist and the dentist's wife or new wife or girlfriend. And um, he killed, I believe, two people, shot the dentist, and he didn't die. But uh, Mr. Parks was prosecuted for those crimes. His wife flipped, and uh, she was the, the main witness against him. And he went to life, served life in prison, and died in prison. Um, 2010. Now, I want to go back to this investigation. These are the guys that show up at the hotel door where Detective Ed Nemeth is inside pretending to be this guy. So he opens the door, sees these three guys. They, the cops come out, the, the sheriffs come out. They arrest these guys. What happens then? They arrested not only those three, but down at the corner of the street of the block was Mr. Spanetti, Mr. Span. What's his name, his full name? Um, I couldn't tell you his first name. I believe William Span. Because there was a few, he had brothers as there well. Were, there were two brothers, that's correct. But this was a William Span, is, is how I, in my research, I came across correct. the name William Span. And he was down at the corner, supposedly, with the guns. Um, he bragged about that he was going to, uh, that they were going to murder whoever was in that room. Who did, allegedly did he brag this to? Um, to my understanding, it's in the police report that okay. he made the made the comments. But who appears but the mob attorney, none other than Mr. Kerman Policy. Okay. And to my understanding, he appeared on the scene, according to the transcript in my book, and they walk. Again, before we go any further, this is all in a trial transcript, and we'll get to this, this trial. But this is all in the transcript that is available on Gary's website, um, truthnotdeception.com. You can actually download the trial transcript. It's a very great resource. 900-some pages. And so if you want to dig into more of this, the, the case that we're talking about here. So I'll, I'll come back now. The three gentlemen at the door and the four of them, I guess, all together, they get arrested. Um, at least the three at the door do, I know. And they get pulled in and arrested and sprung. A lawyer comes, takes them out, right? And nothing ever happens. This case goes cold. Now, this is their lead suspect, this guy, Bobby Parks. Um, you know, a notorious, like I said, a notorious killer. Had, had killed a guy, I believe, at the end of the 60s and got sentenced to a pretty stiff sentence, but then got out within like a year. You know, they was reduced to a manslaughter charge, and he got out, uh, killed a man named Packner um, in, on Glenwood. Uh, was Walter a, Packner. Walter Packner was a um, Wells Fargo security guard, I believe. Um, so, but he got out of prison right after that, and his name has been attached to something like 40 murders, not just in Ohio. We're talking Bobby Parks. Not just in Ohio, but on the West Coast as well. Bragged about it in jail that he committed 42 homicides. He's their number one suspect. They got him at the motel, but they had to let him go. There was no guns. That's what they said in the police report. In Nemeth's report, it says 
that they were released. They had no weapons with them. They were questioned. The lawyer came in. They were released. But we mentioned the name Talbert earlier. Um, Rob Talbert, who was murdered around the same time that Benjamin Marsh was murdered, was also going to testify before a grand jury, had two sons. And they both investigated their father's murder for many, many years. And, you know, Rob Talbert Jr., correct me if I'm wrong. Correct. Was actually in touch with Ed Nemeth, the former uh, detective who investigated this case. And he asked him about Bobby Parks who he had, they had caught at the motel. Tell him what he said. Robert Talbert Jr. was speaking with Ed Nemeth, and Ed Nemeth said that Robert Parks, which makes sense, was never without a gun, turned around and had a sawed-off shotgun under his trench coat. Wow. When he when he entered the motel room, and we talked to, you know, the 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 Talberts as well. It's crazy to me that, you know, Ed Nemeth, who at that point becomes the Mahoning County Sheriff, and he's actually later implicated for taking mafia money. I don't think it was ever prosecuted. I don't think it was ever uh, um, worked for Ray T. Davis. He worked for Ray T. Davis, the sheriff as well, who was also corrupt. And at, at that point, up until, you know, through uh, Phil Chance, you know, corrupt Mahoney County Sheriff, who surprisingly was one of the sheriff's detectives who worked the Marsh case, you know, a lot of those guys from trafficking on, you know, they, they all were, were taking money from for years and years. Ed Nemeth, I don't believe, and I could be wrong on this, that he was ever prosecuted, but you know, um, he was definitely implicated. Um, but well, what was also very strange was that um, within a year or so after the murders, both McIntosh, head of uh, GM security, McIntosh's daughter, and it was never publicized, but it was found in his obituary by the Talberts that he, in fact, worked at the Oklahoma Citation Plant alongside of McIntosh. Ed Nemeth. Ed Nemeth is. So, yeah, this is where it gets, it just keeps getting stranger, this case, the more you, 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 you pull at the string. The Ed Nemeth was the detective, again, from the, the Mahoney County Sheriff's Office, who investigated this case in 1974. Uh, the case eventually goes cold. Did, did Bobby Parks have a gun?
after his conviction? Oh, yes. Yes. And then I went down and interviewed Mr. Ferrara. And now you at worked... At the Marion Prison. You both worked at GM Lordstown at the same and time. And never knew each other. Yeah, and we, we, as we established, GM Lordstown at that time, about 13,000 people were Yeah, but it, he was in the van plant at the yeah. same time I was, supposedly. And I never knew him. Okay, so, but, so your time crossed over. You, there might have been times where you passed each other and never knew it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so now all these years later, he's been convicted of killing the Marsh family. Now, we should also specify the the evidence that uh, was used against him. They said that they had recovered, and we know this from the old Ed Nemeth investigation, they had 10 or so different sets of prints or different people, uh, fingerprints that they found from the crime scene. Um, again, as we talked about, that crime scene was walked all over by members of many different uh, law enforcement agencies as well as media members. Um, very kind of uh, not not well-kept crime scene. So of all the evidence that's there, they said they have fingerprints outside the door that was broken into the, the side garage door. Uh, they say they have fingerprints of Ferraras on that door. Now, it was also snowing at the time, and there was a boot print. And they had a boot uh, print from when the, the killer kicked in the garage screen door to get into the house. They had a boot print there. So these are the, the evidence that they use against Ferrara in his trial. Um, this boot print never comes up in the trial. It's never measured against his foot. So whether or not it even matched him, it, that never came out. It never, it never uh, was used. Nor of any of the prints in the snow. There you go. So the, then the fingerprints, uh, we know that in 2009, these cold case detectives started investigating the case. Correct. Um, again, you know, if, if you're listening, if you're, if you're a detective on this case, you want to talk about this case, we'd love to talk to you more. Uh, reach out to us, please. Um, you know, fill us in if we, if we got something wrong on this part. Uh, but we know that in 2009, the detectives reach out to Ferrara. testimony of a, another sheriff, uh, a deputy? Trainee. Okay, who, who said that he had a conversation about guns with Ferrara and these fingerprints, and, and that was enough for the jury. Now, Ferrara has denied from day one that he had anything to do with this case. Um, you know, took great offense to the notion that he killed a child. Um, but said he never had never been to this house, uh, didn't know Marsh, and, you know, was innocent of these crimes. So he's maintained his innocence since day one. Uh, and again, this is a guy who pled guilty to his other crimes and admitted to killing those other two guys and is serving life in prison, you know, as we speak and as he was being uh, put on and, trial. And they never did a polygraph test to Mr. Ferrara. Okay, so... So, clearly, again, it was the evidence, the, the main evidence used against him was these fingerprints. Correct. So, he was convicted in 2013, and was he sentenced, do you know what, what the sentence was? Do you remember? Yeah, what? life. So, he was already serving life in prison, so they just tacked on life. You're never getting out, that kind of, right. yeah. So, Cause I, he, he could have been paroled at that time, especially during the COVID, he would have been paroled paroled for the first crime yeah. from 40 years ago. So, 50 years ago at this point, geez. So, all right, well, it's, you know, Gary ends up getting subpoenaed and could have been a witness in the, in, in the Ferrara trial. Uh, you tell me, you, you brought up, um, they, did, did the cold case detectives reach out to you or did you reach out to them? They reached out to me. And what what did what were they interested in you? What what did you say that was they, so interesting? They were interested in the Marsh murders. The the stories that you told us earlier from your time working at GM and 
the death threats made against you and, and Marsh. Correct. And so they the the detectives then are thinking, okay, we have a wit, we have somebody here that can that can what testify to what do you think that they that they even subpoenaed you for? I I don't have a clue. I really don't have a clue. The only thing is, after they did interview me for two hours, they said they were going to call a grand jury, and they didn't do it. Yeah. And the, and I asked them the reason why, and Mr. Mondora said because Mr. Gaines did not like my eight-page letter to the chairman of the board. So I said I bet he didn't. So um, back it up again. This is would be the the prosecutor at the time, Paul Gaines. Who again? If you're if you're if you know um, Youngstown Mob Talk or Crooked City, uh, you're familiar with our former prosecutor who was, you know, had a long career, 25 year career as prosecutor. You wrote. You're saying that you wrote an eight page letter to whom? To the chairman of the board, of Thomas the, Murphy of General, General Motors, Motors, and the numero uno, and the president. To and the two of them, the president, Pete Estes, of General Motors. And when did you write this? Um, I'd have to look at the date. Estimated. What would you say? 2013, right after this? Oh, no, 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 no. This letter I mean, was uh, written, written prior to me returning to General Motors. Okay, so years. Okay. Yeah. So you had then... Been, so let's fast forward. You've been subpoenaed in this case um, to be a witness, to possibly testify, to give background information, I guess, um, on these threats that were made against Mr. Marsh. We're assuming, because Gary was never called in the trial, um, you were actually sequestered. I was sequestered. I wasn't allowed to be in that room. Okay. And so you never, you never come to, to testify. You're not the only one on the witness list who doesn't testify in this case. There's actually a few other, a few other names that just the witnesses were never called. Um, it's interesting. I, I've actually begun my own investigation of this case. It's a, it's a pretty, you know, involved thing. There's a lot of uh, coincidences. If you believe in coincidences, there's a lot of that in this case. There's a lot of, you know, go, all the way going back to the the, the Bobby Parks thing. You've got so much in this book, um, prior background information about your time at GM, uh, everything about the Marsh case, some, you know, there's photos in, in the book, there, uh, things that are um, And the files. fact they tried to take my life. It's a pretty wild book, and it's, you know, it, it, as somebody who tells stories for a living, you see why I'm interested in this case. I mean, there's there's just so much to it, um, and so I, I'm kind of doing an investigation as well into this and saying, you know, it's an interesting part of that era. And, and as we do Youngstown Mob Talk, it's not directly the mob. All right, once again, we'll be joined next week uh, by our my partner in true crime, Jimmy Naples. Jim and I are historians, too. And that leads me to our, we're doing a big show, of course, in November. We highly recommend you come check this out. It's called Cav Bomb, A Blast from the Past. This is Friday, November 10th at the Stambaugh Auditorium. We've got some special guests for this show. Uh, our focus of the show is... The Mafia War in Youngstown, specifically, that went from 1960 to 1962. And several big-named uh, gangsters from this area were killed, were eliminated as part of this war. And it really started with the death of Sandy Naples and his girlfriend. And it ends with the Mafia car bombing of 
Cadillac Charlie Cavallero, and unfortunately his two young sons who were in the car with him. We've actually got the sole survivor of that bombing, Charlie Jr., coming to our show. He's our featured guest. He's going to tell you details that, you know, maybe he's never told publicly ever. So uh, we've also got the last surviving FBI agent to work the case, Cecil Moses. He'll be there as another guest of honor for us. And it all starts with a VIP dinner that night. Uh, we recommend you get a VIP dinner ticket because Jimmy Mullador, uh, Briar Hill Jimmy, the Vegas player himself, a fantastic musician uh, from Youngstown, from Briar Hill. He made his career out in Las Vegas with Elvis and Sinatra and Streisand. But before he did all that, he was here in Youngstown and he actually grew up with the Naples brothers. So you're going to have dinner. He's going to tell you stories and jokes. He's kind of like an Italian Don Rickles. And he's going to tell you some great stories about growing up with the Naples brothers. During this dinner, he'll play some music. And then we'll actually get to the show uh, in the main auditorium at Stambaugh. And, you know, if you went to the dinner, you'll have just heard a bunch of stories about the Naples brothers. And now you'll actually find out kind of how that plays into the, the turf war there from the 1960s. So that show, again, is called Cav Bomb. You can get tickets now. They're on sale. You can either get them at the box office or you could get them at stambaughauditorium.com. We'll put a link in the description below. Please check that out. We hope to see all of our mob associates Friday, November 10th. Cadillac Charlie's coming back to the north side. So we got Charlie Jr. You don't want to miss it. It's a once-in-a-lifetime event. Don't miss it. All right. Once again, thank you to our sponsors. Um, Sunrise Inn out in Warren. Get yourself some good food. Of course, River Rock at the Amp. They did a great show, all uh, great series all summer long. And Youngstown Tile in Terrazzo, some amazing flooring. Check them out. Um, until next time, I'm Johnny Ciccatelli. Ciao. That was an amazing podcast from an amazing podcast company. If you enjoyed the show, please click the like and subscribe buttons and share it with your friends. It goes a long way in helping us produce more amazing content.